Hello and welcome to Confessions of an Aging Ingenue. I am your aging ingenue, Jenny Tooley. So excited to have you here today. We are going to get started here in a minute, but first I want to extend a personal invitation to you to join us in the confessional Wednesday nights, first Wednesday of the month. Check it out at JennyTooley.com. You might even end up in the confessor seat. Okie dokie, here we go. Hey everybody, it's Jenny Tooley coming at you from Austin, Texas. Oh my God, fall has kind of arrived. We've had some days that are nice and cool. In fact, a day that was really cold. It's like, wait a second, it went from 90 to 50. But uh, yeah, we've finally gotten a little more fall weather before November, um, and it's just been great. Um, if you are here for the first time, this is my podcast called Have I Told You About the Time, where I'm just talking about stuff that I've experienced in my life, and um, usually it's some kind of practical side of uh, filmmaking or the entertainment business with a lot of personal growth and spirituality thrown in. Um, This is unedited, unscripted, and uncensored, so yeah, there you go. I'm going to talk about whatever comes off the tip of my tongue, and I'm leaving it there because I'm working with perfection, y'all. I'm also on my iPhone. Woohoo! No big fancy uh, microphone, no nothing. So, little kitties in the background, good times. All right, so here we go. We're on episode... 15, maybe 15, of Have I Told You About the Time? Hmm. Have I told you about the time that I was cast in a little movie called Boyhood by Richard Linklater? Part two. Yes, I realized as I was doing the last podcast that this is going to have to be in two parts because it's a long story. It was a long process. I only came in at year eight and it was still a long process. So if you're not familiar with the movie Boyhood, I highly suggest going online and watching it or renting it or doing whatever it is that you do to get your movies. It's an amazing piece of filmmaking. Um, It's totally accessible and completely experimental in the way it was made. It was made over the period of 12 years. It follows uh, the story of a boy as he develops and the boy is an actual boy who we actually watch grow up over the period of 12 years because every year they shot uh, about 10 10 to 20 minutes of the film. It's not a documentary. It's completely fictional. But it's also, it's very much based on the lives of people, which I think is why it resonates because kind of how we did our process was... um, We would talk a lot about our life experiences, and those would get folded into the storyline. There was no script. It was not scripted like, oh, yes, in year nine, he's going to be in the 10th grade, and he's going to be struggling with this. Literally like, okay, we just shot year eight. We're in the van. We're on our way back to Austin from Bastrop. What's next year going to be about? Hey, you know, I thought it would be cool if... So um, that was really interesting to be a part of that process. When I left off in part one, I think we were at, uh, we're still in year eight. I finished up talking about that amazing intro. Like, I had a week on this movie. I got to write. Uh, I got to improvise. I got to sing. I got to do all the things that 
totally mortify me. <laughs> I was given opportunities for growth because I was going to show up because uh, I could not fail. I was not going to let myself fail in that situation. Um, so we got to the end of year eight. And then what happened? Okay, so year nine. Year nine. I think it was year nine. It might have been ten. But I'm thinking nine. Um, I, I hadn't heard from them in a long time, obviously, right? Um, and I get a phone call from my agent saying, hey, you guys, hey, Jenny, we're going to, um, they're, they're checking your schedule. Well, at that time, I was pretty flexible. I didn't have a job job. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm pretty much open. So they kept checking my schedule for like months, checking my schedule, checking my schedule. And then finally, they booked me. And the day of booking came up and nobody had called me to tell me where to go. So I'm calling my agent saying, hey, it's 7.30 in the morning. I still don't know where to go. I've been having this conversation with her for days. I still don't, I have not been contacted by the production company. Um, and she says, let me, let me call you back. Well, it turns out somebody had made a mistake. So I didn't work that day. So then what happened was... They kept checking my schedule, and then one day they said, can you come in at 2.30 today? And I was like, this is really strange. Normally in situations like this with bigger movies, you're like booked, you know, at least 24 hours in advance. You're rarely called to come in on the same day. And I was like, well, yeah, I can come in today at 2.30. So they told me just to grab some clothes. <laughs> I was like, okay, and put on my makeup. I was like, okay. <clears throat> and <clears throat> I drove to North Austin. Sorry, I have Austin allergies. Just a second. <clears throat> One of the, the, the um, drawbacks of unedited is you get to hear my mucousy voice. Okay, so yeah, I drove to this house in North Austin, and I was there. And it turned out it was the house of the family that had the babies that were my babies in the movie. So I'd gone to the baby's house and um, there's no truck, you know, there's no grip truck, there's nothing out there, there's just a few cars and I go in and it's just me, Richard, a PA and an editor. And then the baby and his mama. And I was like, this is interesting. And Richard said, okay, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> I'm like, ah, okay, great. I have nothing. I've been given nothing until I get there. This is what we're going to do. Um, okay, so basically this is a scene where um, you and your husband, so you and Ethan Hawke, the husband in the movie, are um, Skyping the boy. He's now off at his mom's house or somewhere. And I was like, okay. And he said, basically, Ethan has already recorded this in New York, his part. And we're just going to record your part right now here. And we're going to use this laptop. So there's like an iMac uh, or a MacBook Pro that the editor's got in his hands. And I'm like, well, that's really interesting. And I'm thinking my little technical brain is thinking, is that going to blow up? Like, and I don't mean blow up, like explode. I mean, like, is something that we record through the camera on that MacBook going to be good enough 
that when you blow it up to full size, it's not going to pixelate all over the place. But of course, you know, I have to trust that somebody else, they know what they're doing. Um, but that was a really interesting lesson. And basically, so if you remember the scene in the movie um, where um, Boy is on Skype with Dad, he and Dad are talking to each other, and then Dad flips the uh, computer around. It's like, say hi to Annie, and the computer flips around, and like Annie, who is me, is sitting there going, hey, how are you? I love you. And then it flips back. That's what we shot that day. Uh, really brilliant. <laughs> like that is a brilliant lesson in creative filmmaking. Uh, so that took, I don't know, an hour. And then I left. So that was year nine. Years go by, I moved to Dallas. Uh, I have no idea if I'm still, you know, coming back in this movie or not. I get a call. And they're like, okay, they're going to shoot a big graduation party. And they need you to come down to Austin. Well, that in and of itself is a whole other story about how that worked out. Let me just skip that part, and we'll go straight to the shoot. So uh, I get to Austin, and we go out to the family home and um, Patricia's Patricia Arquette's home. Not her actual house, but her character's house. And it's not a shoot day. It's a rehearsal day. We, of course, have nothing I just know that we're going to a graduation party, and um, a whole bunch of people are there, and Richard walks into the house, and he's just looking around, and he's like, okay, we're going to do this in small groupings, and I'm going to have you guys over here, and this group in here, and that group is going to be in the kitchen, and y'all just go and break off, and um, you can just kind of think about what you're going to be talking about, and then he kind of walks through how the camera's going to go through this. Uh, so if you remember that scene, it would be considered year 11, um, and it's the party after the boy graduates. So we just kind of did that, and then um, we took a day off, and then we came to the shoot day. Now, I had gained, uh, from the beginning of this process to its end, I don't know, maybe 15 pounds for me, that was crazy amount of weight. Um, and I can t- I'll talk about this in another podcast because this is really like an important point in my life where I realized that I had been underweight my entire life. But because I had certain things that I had seen in my own body and because I was in the industry, I didn't understand that. So I went to that shoot about 15 pounds heavier and I felt so uncomfortable um, I decided that I was just going to let my body be what it was going to be. I wanted to try to fight this. I wanted to just see what's going to happen. And my doctor was like, yeah, Jenny, you're still like 10 pounds under your target weight, but I am feeling fat. So I get there and wardrobe puts me in this form-fitting dress. And she said, what do you think? And normally I'm like, oh yeah, this is great. Or this is perfect for the character. And I just looked at her and said, you know, I do not know because i um, I'm at a weight that I'm not used to and I can't I can't make a good judgment. So I'm going to trust that if you think I look really good in this, I must look really good in this. And she's like, you look great in that. We also had a problem because I hadn't brought a pair of the proper undergarments to wear with that kind of dress. <laughs> so I was having like panty lines all over the place. And they had to like cut down a pair of hose for me to wear as if they were, you know, like a little 
girdle panty thing. There's a little insight that nobody knows, right? <laughs> so um, it was 100 degrees, at least it was so hot. Oh my God, it was so hot. We had to turn off the air conditioning in the house. We didn't have honey wagons that day. It was like a shared situation where we were sharing one trailer with bathrooms. Um, and it was however many people were there. How many people were there? 20, 30 plus the, the crew. So it was a lot of people in this house and outside the house. Um, I was literally at one point after lunch, I got in the van because we were eating lunch not in the house, but at this little church down the street. So you could walk down the street to the church, which was great because it gave me like some time to be quiet. But it was so hot that I eventually just climbed into the back of the van that was shuttling people back and forth and laid there in the quiet cool. And they were like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, just, just keep, I'm just going to hang out in the back of this van until you guys are done going back and forth. So, um, even though I was there for the whole day, I was really only on the set for a bit. And I remember standing in that little cluster. So there's two scenes there that I was in. It was in a cluster with Ethan and, um, I cannot remember his name, but it's like uncle Charlie who has cracked me up the entire time. Um, we had our little thing when the boy comes in and we're like, hey. And then there's that little scene that's Ethan and I. And then um, Libby Valeri, who plays Patricia's mom, steps into the scene and says hello. Um, I remember being so uncomfortable that day. I, I just could not relax. And... Um, I think part of it is because I didn't know what we're doing. Like, if I don't know what I'm doing, a lot of times I have to, I feel like I have to control it. And by, if I can't control what's happening, then I just try, like, clamping down in my body and try, like, controlling my body. I'm like, Rah! So I was nervous. Um, and we we're supposed to improvise something when they walk in, when he walks in. And I realized, I finally looked at Ethan. And I said, man, um, you know, I haven't seen any of the dailies. I don't know what's going on. Could you tell me what's been happening in our family for the last three years? And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so basically what you need to know <clears throat> is that our side of the family is now like the counterpoint <clears throat> to Patricia's side of the family. Her family is kind of, that side of the family is really chaotic and kind of broken. And our family is like, side of the family is like warm and loving and consistent. And I said, okay, thank you. And I love the way he did that. He didn't say, okay, this is what's been happening. He said, what you need to know is, and he gave me the underlying emotional like pinning of it. And that's really all I needed. Um, and I still felt uncomfortable. I think it was perfect because I was in the house, you know, my character was in the house of my husband's ex-wife and her family, whom I never felt comfortable with. So again, <clears throat> I don't know if maybe internally I was already, I knew that and I was feeding that. Um, or if like how I was feeling as a human was actually being additive to my character. It could have been either one. 
Um, so we did that little scene and I, there was something I wanted to do and I remember Ethan was like my point person between me and Richard. He and Richard get along really well and they like have a language. So I would talk to Ethan about something, about an idea I had and he'd be like, oh yeah, 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 well, I'm gonna talk to him. Or he'd be like, oh no, no, no. Uh, and I remember once he was like, Richard doesn't go in for um, like sympathy stuff. And I was like, that's really interesting. And I started thinking about my film, which is a lot of um, kind of sympathetic stuff. I can't explain what he meant. I knew what he meant at the time. And maybe you guys have a sense of it from watching his movies. Um, but that was a really interesting insight. And um, I remember that little scene between he and I when the ex-mother-in-law comes in. And that happened so quickly. It was like a little additive thing at the very end of our shoot day where it's like, hey, 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 let's do this thing. And um, I that's just to me is one of the sweetest, most honest little pieces perhaps that I've done ever. And it's such a short moment and such a like real moment. Um, and I'm kind of, I'm proud of that moment. Anyway, so we get done. Right, we're done with shooting. They have one more year, and that's they. They all they went out to. To oh, I don't remember what it was. Not Palador Canyon. One of those places out there by Marfa. <laughs> anyway, they went out to a beautiful Texas park and shot all that stuff with the boy at the very end. Lovely, beautiful, wonderful. Everything is wrapped. I don't remember how long it was between those times. But it was a good chunk. And there was like this question of when is this movie gonna come out? You know, people are like, when is that movie gonna come out? I'm like, I have no idea. Well, uh, the movie comes out. And I'm invited to the premiere in Austin. I'm coming from Dallas. I'm broke ass broke. I'm literally, I'm on food stamps at this point, actually. That's how broke ass broke I was. I was on food stamps. I was figuring out how to put gas in my tank so that I could get to, to Austin to be at the premiere. Um, I got to the premiere. I talked to somebody that I didn't really know who had been in the movie. Because, <laughs> you know, we all didn't run into each other all the time. And um, that was it. I got back in my car. So a little more time goes by. And the movie's released. And... I'm not really keeping up with what's happening. I do not watch all the award shows and everything. And I'm getting texts one day like, oh my God, I just saw you on the, on the Golden Globes in a, a trailer. And I'm like, oh. So apparently, you know, one of my little scenes is in the trailer uh, during the Golden Globes. I didn't see it. And they're like, oh my God, I don't want a Golden Globe. And I'm like, oh, that's great, you know. And then I kind of started watching what was going on. And, you know, everybody gets nominated for the SAG Awards. I started seeing what was interesting, though, is it was the top four people. It was um, Patricia, Ethan, the boy, and Lorelai that were being billed, the top four. And actually, I'm really... This was also a movie where I was billed really high. Um, kind of one of the things that you watch as an actor is, like, where does your billing land? 
I don't have a bunch of like clout, so my billing lands wherever my character lands usually. And in that one, my billing landed really close to the top, but it didn't land high enough that it was showing up anywhere. And that was kind of disappointing to me. Um, and it, it also gave me like a really strong sense of like, uh, who the core nexus of power is. And then everybody else is kind of on the outside. Um, so yeah, it went to the Academy Awards and, um, I'm now getting texts from people saying, oh my God, are you on the red carpet? I'm looking for you on TV. And I'm like, no, actually, I'm sitting at a bar in Dallas right now because I don't have a TV. Uh, so I went to an Oscar watching party at a bar. <laughs> Nobody was there. It was me and my boyfriend until he left because he needed to go get nicotine patches. <laughs> so I was literally sitting by myself in a bar watching to see if the movie was going to win. Eating my steak and frites at the time. I was still eating meat. Um, and not drinking, which, you know, whatever. <laughs> so things keep progressing with this movie. I'm working at a restaurant and, um, I'm a hostess and the brunch manager. And one day I'm standing at the hostess stand and somebody's like, oh my God, you look so familiar. And I kind of gotten used to this and I was like, well, did she go to Allen high school? No. And I started going down the obvious list. Did you da, 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 did you have you ever blah blah blah? And then I finally went, Oh, did you just go see a movie? And she's like, Oh my god, that was you! I just went and saw a movie and you were in it. And I was like, Yes, yes, you did. This way to your table. <laughs> and I've got my bottle of water in my hand and I'm putting her glasses down. <laughs> and she literally says, This must be doing wonders for your career. <laughs> and I'm like, Yes, your waitress will be with you in just a moment. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so that happened pretty regularly. I'd be walking around, and I'd see a table of people just turning and just staring at me. And I'd finally walk over there and be like, hi, how are y'all? And they'd be like, you're so familiar. I did, what? And, and I'd be like, yeah, did you just go see a movie? And they're like, oh, yes! <laughs> so, uh, Yeah. That was such a very funny lesson in humility and just so surreal. And it, things don't work out the way you expect them to. Um, people also have expectations about how things, especially if you're an actor, if you're not in anything they've ever known, then you kind of lose credibility with them or they don't think you're doing anything or whatever. They have some kind of built-in thing in their head. And then if you're in something that they recognize then they expect, oh my God, you must be doing really well. And don't realize that you are on food stamps, waiting tables at a restaurant and trying to make ends meet. Um, and th that also can get into your own head. Like my head wanted to play crappy ass games with me and tell me how crappy I was, that I was not successful, uh, that my work must not be valuable, that what I did on there was must not be valuable, like in the movie, because I wasn't getting the kind of acknowledgement and accolades that I thought I should be getting, or just, you know, some cultural thing suggested I was supposed to be getting. 
Um, and it was just such a, a good reminder um, that, you know, I'm not really in control of things. Uh, I sent out, I did a postcard campaign to a bunch of casting directors with the boyhood stuff. My agent was really excited. She had been involved in a lot of things directly with the movie and was traveling with them and um, to like award ceremonies and talking to LA agents. So it seemed like something was gonna happen and nothing ever happened. Now I'm gonna tell you what did happen because I think it's so important to readjust our expectations and use what we have even when it doesn't look like what we thought it was gonna be. So what I was able and have been able to leverage with Boyhood, I'm gonna use some business language. I'm leveraging Boyhood. What I was able to leverage with Boyhood was stock. Boyhood came out right before I started on fundraising for stuck. So we were able to say, Jenny Tooley, most, you know, notably seen as Ethan Hawke's wife, Annie, in Richard Linklater's award-winning boyhood. <clears throat> and that had some traction. Um, I forget that some of the things that I've done in my life and some of the, the um, work I've done has traction because it seems so small to me. And that's just crap in my head telling me lies so that I feel mm, small and like I can't do anything and I'm not enough to keep me, you know, not being able to move forward. Uh, so yeah, we were able to use boyhood as traction uh, for fundraising for stuck. I haven't been able to use it in many other ways that I thought I was going to be able to use it, but hey, I was able to use it for that and that was a pretty darn big deal. It also, I've got a lot of great stories about it um, and also my experience with that I've shared it with a number of people and it's been helpful to them it's been a really good helpful reminder to a couple of my close friends and I about our expectations in this business and um, it's easy for me to look at my resume and be like oh my god my resume is so small you know I, I could, if I'm going in comparison land my resume is a blip on the radar to some people that I know. But to other people that I know, my, ra my, my resume is very strong. And if I look at my resume, I, I know that God has been guiding that resume. I would not be happy on a crappy ass television show. And on a really good television show, I'd be fine. But on some crappy piece of crap that I don't wanna be working on, I'd be miserable. So uh, somehow I've been guided you know, throughout this three-decade process to really great projects. I've gotten to work with auteur directors, and that's who I am. So I'm really, really grateful for that. And if I can stay in that zone, I can say the success in what I've done, and I can be very grateful for my the body of work and the people I've gotten to work with, and the fact that I didn't have to sell out to do some crap that I didn't want to do. Now, I'm not on food stamps anymore, I'm really close. <laughs> um, you know, so working on the financial portion of this has become very increasingly important over the last few years, and I'm still trying to unlock that door. But um, the rest of it, you know, it's all good. Yeah, it's all good, y'all. So that's my story about the time that I was cast 
in a little movie by Richard Linklater called Boyhood Part 2. Love you guys. Thanks for being here with me today. I'm Jenny Tooley, your host. I can't wait to hear what you have to say about today's episode, so please comment, review, follow, subscribe, all those things that keep our podcast thriving. Until next time.